What I wanted to do was take a look at something inside of Romans 15. I just scanned right over it. We're not going to scan over it this week. We're going to basically take a magnifying glass and talk about it. But question 86 was also our question from last week. What is faith in Jesus Christ? You're saying, didn't we hear that last week in the words of Martin Luther? Why do you keep telling us this? Because you keep forgetting. What is faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace by which we receive and rest on him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. Do we freely offer Christ to anyone and everyone? Like discussion questions on a catechism question? Yeah. Do we? Yes, but, but does that impede and, and destroy the doctrine of election? Not at all. Remember, we offer Jesus Christ truly. It's universal in scope. It's for all the nations. We offer him truly when we offer Christ. Something I was reading in my, this is my brother's Bible who passed away. What I appreciate about my brother's Bible is... I know when he writes something, it's almost the most simplistic thing. And I was reading through Luke and all of his notes and Jesus Christ and Luke 19.42. Would you say even you had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes? And in his notes, he says, Jesus is weeping because they rejected him. He knew they were going to reject him. He was there before the foundation of the world when the covenant of redemption was made. And yet he did what? He still weep that they rejected him. This has to do with faith in Christ and the free author of the gospel. We don't know who's on the list and who's not, but we weep when people reject Christ. That is the reason we share the free offer of the gospel. So... Whatever you feel about the doctrine of election and these great deep things that are to encourage us and how God loves us, that doesn't negate that Jesus weeped because people rejected the very message he was given. That is another reason we go out and proclaim the gospel. That's the reason we weep, because people reject. So you need to have categories inside of your brain for the deep things of theology and how they work out practically. If not, you become someone who is very unloving and you do not understand the whole truth. Uh, for more information, you can read John Murray's book. It's real little, actually, on the free offer of the gospel. I think it's the best written. There's a bunch of other ones, but John Murray, in my mind, uh, in my opinion, is the best. So with that said, Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace by which we receive and rest on him alone for salvation as he has offered to us in the gospel. What is faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace by which we receive and rest on him alone for salvation as he has offered to us in the gospel. Let me read Romans 15. Verse 17, therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me and leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, verse 19, by power of signs and wonders. 
through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. I want to hone in today on the signs and wonders. You may be wondering, why on earth am I honing in on the signs and wonders? Because I mentioned that, we passed over it, I really want to focus on that today. Just so you know, I'm just coming back from GA, so I have, I have general assembly and, and unity on my mind. We are a unified body. In the 1960s, there was something called the St. James uh, Fellowship. It was a bunch of seminary professors in the 1960s and some teaching elders in the old PCUS church who were trying to push the denomination to become liberal. When I say liberal, don't think politically. Denying the virgin birth, denying inerrancy. And because of that, in the 1960s, you had men that called the Concerned Presbyterians, the Presbyterian Evangelical Fellowship. You had the Presbyterian Churchmen United. And these three groups were trying to make sure that the, that the PCUS, the old church, was still staying faithful to the standards and to scripture. And one of the things that was so clearly seen is that these liberal men were not sharing the gospel, right? You would think someone that's all about love, trying to transform society, would be the ones out evangelizing. They weren't. It was the people who believed and the confessional documents were the ones out trying to reach people. Well, Eventually, of course, 1966, RTS Jackson was established. As that established, eventually the PCA pulled out of the old PCUS in 1973, and they still held on to those distinctives. Those three are still in our purpose statement, which is faithful to scriptures, true to the Reformed faith, obedient to the Great Commission. That's what our purpose statement is, no matter what PCA church you go to. Um, some may want one of those more than others. But this is what we stand for. And one of the things that the PCA does is anytime they go to a major city is the people who were still a part of Presbyterian Evangelical Fellowship that wanted to go out and share the gospel. Um, you know, these are real evangelists and real, you could call them soul winners if you're in the Baptist church, right? They still like going out to the most popular street in the downtown city, wherever you are, and share the gospel. Well, David is on overtures, which means that he was up at like 8 in the morning and didn't go to bed till almost 9 or 10, throwing that out there. So I got a call for some people in the Savannah River Presbytery to say, hey, we're going out because they, there's still a bunch of men who go out, so I'll go out with you. And, and we're out on Beale Street. If you've ever been to Memphis, it's kind of like Savannah. It's kind of, I don't know, call it like River Street. It's up a little crazier, I guess you could say. And I'm out there, and I'm with Jeff Gleason, and this and this guy comes up, and I'm just asking, hey, can I, can I share with you a story? And I just want to share with them how I came to the Lord, and we start talking. And this one guy says, oh, I'm a faith healer. What? El Bill Street smoking a cigar, and he's a faith healer. Incredible, right? I was like, well, well tell me what you feel. And he told me all these things that he's done. One lady had a tumor in her stomach. Another man who was born with a short leg came out with a longer leg. I said, that's absolutely incredible. I was like, so you have the gift of faith? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? God's going to work through you. You're going to do powers and miracles on Bill Street. He was telling me all this stuff. And I said, listen, could you use your gift? I have high blood pressure and gout because I eat too much. Could you make me 190? Because that's what the doctor says I need to be. Go ahead, do it. I submit to your gift. Oh, 
well, it doesn't work that way. Well, wait a minute. Like, when I see signs and gifts and wonders, like, like I have the gift of, of playing a little percussion instrument. I know it's not much. <laughs> I haven't been given much musically. <laughs> but I don't care what country I'm in. If you put that little drum in front of me, I can play it. I can keep the beat, too, because I use my gift. I don't, I don't care if it's... I could play this. Why? Because it's kind of like a drum. That's my gift. I can use my gift. I was like, so is it a gift that you have or is it not a gift? And he's like, well, God works in different ways. Now, wait a minute. Now, you told me you have the gift. And this is what it comes down to is these signs and wonders. Paul could do signs and wonders. The apostles could do signs and wonders. And I really want to focus on this because if I read the scriptures accurately, there were some things that took place that don't normally take place. What did Paul mean by signs and wonders? Did you write the rest of my, my Sunday school lesson? Wow. What examples of signs and wonders did God do throughout the years? Let's throw some examples out. He healed some people. Unnaturally, not with doctors, not with medicine, but supernaturally. He stopped the rain for three years. Multiplied food. That was pretty incredible, huh? That doesn't happen usually. If you don't have enough food and invite people over, they're just going to go hungry. He turned water into wine. Very quickly, yeah. No fermentation. <laughs> Thank you for that. Raised people from the dead. He raised himself from the dead. These are things that are just supernatural. A, what was the greatest example of signs and wonders in the Old Testament? This is really important because I'm going somewhere with this. What do you think the greatest wonder in the Old Testament? What's the, what's the greatest example of a sign and wonder that God did in the Old Testament? Creation. Try doing that. Out of nothing, God creates. I don't know if you read that book of Revelation enough. We know we have two books. We have scripture and we have nature. If you're not looking at animals, and this is where Dr. Martin, you can read his book. It's really encouraging. He's in, he loves animals, of course. He does it for a living, but he's amazed. Like, can you not see God's hand all over this? If you look at animals, how... How could you in your right mind believe that God is an idol? You can't. The more you look at nature, the more you should be like, you've got to be kidding me. Like bees, have you ever seen the bee lady on YouTube? She's, she speaks to the bees and she'll take all these bees and put them in there. The, the, the bee lady, she said, if you take the queen, if you want to get all these bees who have like gone into an old house and there's billions of them they want to get the bees over here 
All you do is take the queen. And let's say as you're transporting the queen, because they'll follow the queen, the, the queen dies. Oh no, what happens? She says within two days, they select a new queen. And it turns into the queen. And all of a sudden, they all follow her now. I was like, how's that? I don't know. God does these things to teach us order. He's a God of order. He, he's a God of immense creativity. You will never fully understand God. And that is one of the things you learn from looking at nature. You'll never fully understand God. Well, signs and wonders and the gospel spread throughout the known world. As God is creating, he's constantly teaching people through these creations he's constantly revealing himself and one of the ways he does this is not just through nature but he's revealing it through acts and signs and wonders acts 219 and i will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth below blood and fire and vapor and smoke acts 3 8 peter said i have no silver and gold but what i do have i give to you in the name of jesus christ rise and walk so a man that was lame from birth he rose, he basically, in his gift, and it said, rise and walk. Peter seemed to have a gift of healing. Not like, Travis, I can make your blood pressure go away. It didn't happen. I was a little disappointed in this man's gift. Acts 4.30. Stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Acts 5.12. And these are just, there's way more in the book of Acts. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. The apostles seemed to be some type of superheroes. But was it just the apostles performing signs and wonders? It's a trick question. True. Look at Acts 6-8. Stephen, remember Stephen, the first deacon? Servant. I don't know if that word means official deacon. You can debate that later. Read Sinclair on it or read someone else. Full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So it seems that like when the apostle laid their hands on someone, they could do signs and wonders. I won't read. I have them on, on your paper. Hopefully you can believe me that there was a lot more signs and wonders done. Look at page two. Could even unsaved men do signs and wonders? Yeah. It, it seemed, I like how you did that, it seemed as if when Moses threw his staff on the ground and turned into a snake, when Moses did that in Exodus, yeah, it seemed to be that these pagan idolaters could also do things. Signs. False miracles. 2 Thessalonians 2.9. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that, that serve the lie. No matter what you think of 
the evil one and how you ever, eschatology, this is not an eschatology verse, it is, but I don't want to talk about it. But you have to admit, it seems as if evil people can do some type of sign and wonders that serve the lie. Luke 9, 1. He called the twelve together. Judas is one of the twelve. He is an apostle. Mark calls him an apostle. And gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases. Sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God. That is what they did. You mean to tell me Judas is doing miracles? I thought he had the gift. I mentioned this last week. As Paul is talking about signs and gifts, right, and signs and miracles, there are people that had those gifts, just as if you have the gift of singing. You can use that to go make money for yourself, or you can use your gift to serve the Lord. It seems as if some of the gifts could be used wrongly. I know some of us don't have places in our brain for this. You need to if you want to be biblicist. What is... F equals MG. John. I was proud of you for knowing what that is. Absolutely. And Edwards, if you were here on Preach, Praise, and Prayer Night, one of the things he says, Satan likes to mimic. At revivals, he likes to mimic. Satan likes to mimic. But absolutely true. Thank you for that. What is F equals MG? Does anyone know what that is? It's the law of gravity, right? Who invented the law of gravity? Turn your page. There's Sir Isaac Newton sitting there. I don't know if it really apple fell from the tree or not. Yeah, I don't know if that's true or not. But anyway, that's where he comes up with the, with the law of gravity. He's thinking, wait a minute. How does this thing just fall? There seems to be some type of force that is pulling it down. God has laws. You may identify as Superman, but if you jump off this building, you will die. God has laws. But see, God has power, and that's really what we see with signs and wonders, as Michelle has said. It's God doing things contrary to the very laws that he made. You cannot break them. God can. Dead people stay dead. God created that law, right? People don't walk on water. That's a law. It's a natural law. God said, what, what, what should I do here? See, to have miracles and signs and wonders, you have to have the law. It wouldn't be a sign and wonder if it was not breaking the laws that God created and instituted himself. What Paul is teaching us is that he's using these signs and wonders so you can know God. God is revealing himself to the people, to the Gentiles. They didn't grow up with scripture, and God is using it. Now, 
Discussion question. Were miracles, signs, and wonders normal? Was it normal activity? I see people shaking their head. That's, that's correct. Yes? Maybe you were reading the same book I read. Let's look. Dr. Sinclair Ferguson said this. These extraordinary gifts appear to be limited to a few brief periods of biblical history. And they are mentioned precisely because they are unusual. The very fact that they're mentioned is because they were unusual. Even by the standards of the experience of New Testament Christians. You've heard preachers say... Find your miracle today. I think they define that as like you get a good parking spot. That's a blessing, but it's not a miracle, right? Now, if your car lifted up and jumped a car, that's not natural. That would be a miracle. But just getting a good parking spot's not a miracle. And some of you are saying, I don't know, you've, you've tried to park here right when you're coming in late. It may be a miracle. I don't know. Let's continue with the signs and wonders because Paul is saying this is how the gospel is going out. What is revelation? Because we hear this often. What is revelation? Without looking at the definition of our Wesleyan friends. I put the Wesleyan definition there. I thought he did a good job. Can anybody tell me what revelation is? Simply. Absolutely. What you did not know before, you know now. Revealing himself. God simply wants to reveal himself. That is the very reason you can see God in creation. Can I quote, David, you would have to be a fool not to know there's a God. You have to be a fool. Creation speaks. God speaks. He reveals himself. B.B. Warfield, the Lion of Princeton, will tell us that when God does these signs and wonders through the Apostle Paul in Romans 15, as he's going out to share the gospel, as he's doing this, it is God literally revealing himself to man. He's revealing himself. God wants them to know who he is. They want them to know his power and his strength. He is revealing to them, hey, I'm here to save you. I love you. That is literally what is taking place with the Apostle Paul. C, general revelation speaks now to this day. General meaning general, not specific. You can't look at a tree and go, huh, should I marry a Christian? Or should I just marry a, a non-Christian? You may know that. I mean, you're like, God, well, God probably doesn't want me to. He's not going to tell you how to define the Trinity. He tells you he exists. It's general, right? The more you know God, though, 
And the more you read specifically who he is, the more you can interpret a tree. When you look at a tree and you realize that the, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was crucified before the foundation of the world, you can look at a tree and go, you mean God thought about the cross first and then created the tree? That was the order in God's mind. He's got to be crucified. There's got to be a piece of wood. Then I need to create the tree. That's God's order of things. And, and if that boggles your mind, join the club. But that's how I try to look at creation. A goat. He needs a sacrifice. Well, let me, say, let me think of these sheep. Huh? Like he's thinking about these things and, and it's hard to parse God out. And, and some of you are infralapsarian and superlapsarian and I'll, I'll quote the old Southern Presbyterian. I wish no one had ever asked that question. It's a bad question. It's a bad nuance. Neither here nor there. We don't understand fully. But how does general and special revelation differ? How do they differ? They differ because one can tell you how to be saved and, and one cannot. One tells you a little more information than the other does. Fair enough. Right? You can't look at a tree and go, huh, did Jesus down the cross? You just know God exists. You know that he's creative. You know that he's magnificent. You know that he's glorious. When you look at different animals and go, man, he's so creative. Who could think of all these things at one time? But here's what I want to hone in on. What does general and special revelation have in common? And if someone gets this right, I'm going to get a star. You're going to get a star by your name for Sunday school. They all come from God. They, they all reveal who, who God is. Yes. What else? They leave us blameless. We're all without excuse. I'm going to go ahead and say it. There is no more general revelation. God doesn't recreate this world. He will one day. Special revelation, there is no more either. It's ended itself also. One day, though, we will see God face to face and we'll get a whole bunch more revelation. We will have things revealed to us that we've never seen before. General revelation, stop. He's not recreating. What you see here is what you get. Special revelation, what you see here is what you get. He's done it with both revelation. We get no more. This is the revelation that we have. Now, let's go to H. Mr. Smith was tired and went to sleep. It was a normal day in the Smith household. He had watered his garden, worked hard in the yard until the evening. Mr. Smith had a dream about proclaiming Christ to some man he had never seen before in his life. While at lunch the next day, he meets this man and strikes up a conversation. He then starts to share Christ, thinking God wanted him to do so via the dream. Mr. Smith is at a Bible study and starts talking about this wonderful miracle and the signs and wonders that just took place. I had a dream that I was going to share Christ and this person came and the dream took place. It is exactly what God is speaking to me. What do you say to Mr. Smith? You, what, what did you eat last night? Okay, what else? 
But he had a dream. But the dream told him to do so. It was almost a deja vu dream. John Knox would call him a holy man, okay? We'll talk about that later, Mr. Unction Man. I've said something before that I won't say now because it goes against everything that I'm making a point right now. It has to do with my wallet, but I won't share it again. You ever hear somebody say, no, I don't know how this happens. I can't explain it. Look at G. This is Westminster Confession of Faith on Providence. That's chapter 14. Somebody get, will correct me. It goes to Puritan Reform Seminary probably. But anyway, God in his ordinary providence makes use of means, yet is free to work without, above, and against them at his pleasure. The divines teach us and scripture teaches us God does what he wants. But this is the final revelation. You say it is the final revelation. What do you say to Mr. Smith? You know what you say? Praise the Lord God. God lets you share the gospel. We don't do theology on experience. We do theology on the word of God. And you have people that do theology on experiences. The problem is, how do you know? I remember, I'm in, I'm in a line in Vacaville, California, buying a ton of food for the youth. I was a youth pastor, I liked to eat. Anyway, we got all this food. And, and I remember this, this person was like getting Oreos. And I remember some type of cookies and she's you know she's ringing it up it was too much money she said no we don't can't afford that and I was like what do you mean you can't afford the Oreos like the kids got to eat like, it's not cool and then I was thinking you know what I felt the Lord saying buy her groceries and then I was like you know what that's just me being nice then I remembered I wasn't nice <laughs> so I had to be the Lord and I had this moment what, what should I do and I was like you know what I'm just gonna do it because there's a command to love people. Bought a groceries. I could sit there and tell you the Holy Spirit. I don't know. I can't sit here in a sermon and bind all of your conscience to buy someone's groceries. I know I can't do that. We don't do theology on experiences. Presbyterians love the rule. And the rule is the only revelation we have is from God. He's not given us more revelation. There's a good Latin term. Presumptio, which is basically what Paul does throughout the book of Romans. He basically assumes and knows what your objection is going to be, because I know some of you may object to what everything I said. And I gave you a whole chapter of Providence from the Westminster Divines. You can read that later because I don't have time. But if you go to the catacombs in Rome, A.D. 150, there's a picture of Balaam's donkey. This is it. No, I'm just kidding. I think one of the great miracles we see throughout Scripture that really shows us that God is revealing himself, even through these signs and wonders, these languages, these miracles, is really just simple Balaam's donkey. Peter says in 2 Peter 2.16, speaking of Balaam, he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey. An animal without speech who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. God can reveal himself through many different ways. Signs, wonders, even a donkey 
It's like, hey, you better stop that. <laughs> I just can't wait to get to heaven. I want to see this firsthand. God is speaking to us. He did speak through many different ways. He spoke through many different methods. Now he has spoken to us through his son Christ. And he's given this word all about Christ. Jay, in 2022, there were 64 Methodist theologians got together because of the divide in the church. And they decided to make a theological statement. So they have this statement now that they can read and all the conservative Methodists are holding to. But there's a difference between their theological statement and the theological statement put out by the Westminster Divines. And the difference is they start with God and who God is. And everything they write is true. I would hold to it. But the Westminster Divines start off with Scripture. The reason being is because you don't know God without Scripture. You have to have a robust doctrine of Scripture first before you can understand who God truly is. In Westminster Confession of Faith 1.1, although the light of nature and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and His will which is necessary unto salvation. Therefore it pleased the Lord at sundry times and in diver manners to reveal Himself and to declare that his will unto the church and afterwards for the better preserving and propagating of the truth and for the more sure word establishment and comfort of the church against the corruption of the flesh and the malice of Satan and of the world to commit the same holy underwriting. Everything that you've seen and heard, the signs and wonders that Paul is doing, they're committed holy unto writing. Why? Which maketh the Holy Scripture to be most necessary those former ways of God revealing his will unto his people being now ceased. How does God speak to us today? Discussion question M. Through his word. You could say through a tree. You could say if you've ever seen a waterfall. But salvifically he speaks through the word. Just as no more creation... But yet God still speaks through creation. There's no more revelation, yet he still speaks. We are foolish to think God doesn't speak to us. You read God's word, you are reading the very word of God. He is speaking to us. Now, whether he illuminates that in our heart or not, whether we have bad translations, you know, but at the heart of the message, this is God's word. And he speaks to us still today. You can have confidence when you read God is speaking to you. You can have confidence when someone is sick and hurting and you're trying to give them a hug and you're sharing with them. So you have confidence they're hearing the word of God. The purpose of signs and wonders. John 20, 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. How many miracles were done by Jesus? A lot. A lot more than you've read and I've read. A lot more. They're not written in this book, John said. But I've written these things. Why? So that you may know that Jesus is the Christ. The miracles were done and written down 
so that you may know Jesus is the Christ. These miracles advanced the kingdom of God. The miracles authenticated the message of God. But here's the reality. Signs and wonders do not save. John 12, 37, though he had done so many signs before them, they still not believe in him. So many times, if, if I just saw a miracle, you really think you believe if you saw a miracle? Which generation saw the most miracles? This is debated, but I like throwing out. Which one in the scripture saw the most miracles? The people that left Egypt seemed to see a lot of miracles. I mean, the Red Sea parted, pillar of fire, pillar of cloud. I mean, they had constant heat, constant shade, food being brought by just appearing and some animals. And it seems that God is providing for them in supernatural ways. All the way to the point where they were like, this is getting a little boring. As a matter of fact, that entire generation that left Egypt was in the wilderness, ended up perishing because they quit believing. They hardened their heart because of all the miracles that they saw. They quit believing. Don't think because you'll see a miracle... If I just saw this, then my eyes will be open and I'll believe. Paul refused to do a sign. Look at 1 Corinthians one twenty-two. For the Jews require a sign. Remember, Paul went throughout many of the Gentiles' lands. It says it in Romans 15, doing what? Signs and wonders. These Gentiles, he's doing what? Signs and wonders, signs and wonders, signs and wonders throughout the Gentiles. And the Gentiles are like going, whoa, I've never seen this. At one time, remember they tried to worship? Was it Paul and Barnabas they tried to worship? And they're like, whoa, 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 you don't worship us. We're just, you know, we're just the messenger. You don't worship us. They thought they had seen a what? A God, one of the gods, because you did something only a God can do. It's like, no, we just had the gift. We got given to God, and we heal people. Sorry, it's not us. They ripped their clothes. Paul, on the other hand, he said, it's the Jews that require the sign. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. So Jews want the sign. Show us the sign. Show us the sign. The Greeks want what? Give us the lofty wisdom. Speak in an eloquent way. Speak in a way that we are know you're from the gods. Speak to us. Almighty Paul, we're so wise and smart. We're not like the people who are, you know, one fry short of a happy meal. We are intelligent people. We are advanced society. Paul said what? I'm not giving the Jews a sign, and I'm not speaking eloquently to the Gentiles. He says, we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. So though Paul did signs and wonders, it's almost as if he refused to do it to the Jews. I want signs and wonders because they, they wanted to worship the sign. And to the Greeks who he did the signs and wonders, they wanted to hear something eloquent. And he's like, no. What's the answer to both of you? 
Christ crucified. Not high and lofty, just the simple message that Christ, what? He will eventually say, I give unto you what is of first importance, that Christ, what, died for our sins, according to scriptures, and then he rose again from the dead on the third day. That's the answer for people seeking signs, and that's the answer for people seeking high wisdom. It's almost as if the gospel is the answer to everything in Scripture. Paul did these signs and wonders, but there are times that he refused to give them to people. He was an apostle. He saw Jesus. Remember on the Acts 9 on the road, uh, he was blinded, probably dealt with blindness his whole life, or maybe, I don't know, that's a speculation, but we say it enough we believe it, right? These signs and wonders were absolutely incredible, but they don't save. And no one has those gifts anymore because they ended with the apostles. Our faith is based upon the apostles and the prophets. This is the final revelation, according to the book of Hebrews, that we're going to get. Some of you may have a story today. But Travis... Even the Puritan reform man has a story. I won't give your story. What? I have a story. Listen, I get it. We do theology not on experiences. We do it on the truth of Scripture. God is always free to work any way he wants to work. But he's given us his final word. Just as revelation and creation speaks, it is ended. There's no more new, even though it still continues to speak today, there is no more new heavens and new earth. One day there will be, and it will speak again, and there will be new revelation. It may be a tree that we've never seen, or an animal we've never seen before. Wouldn't that be amazing? Scripture now still speaks, but there is no new revelation. It's all in Scripture. But one day, the beatific vision, we will see him face to face, and we will get new revelation. He will tell us things for eternity that we didn't know. So God has a way that he orders things and structures things, and it's just beautiful. Now, with that said, we have to leave. All right, does anybody have any questions or thoughts before we end?